probably the peak of kind of gang stuff going on, at least where I where I was from. Um, it was it was pretty serious at that time. And so we had a youth group and, you know, foolishly or or hopefully or whatever, we kind of brought together youth from there's two main gangs, basically, where, where I live. And we brought them together in this youth group. And they actually like we set set the boundaries, set the guidelines right up front. And it was every weekend, every Saturday morning. And, um, you know, things were cool. We were probably, you know, halfway through that curriculum. I think it was a 16, 18 week curriculum. And then one weekend we had a break. Every weekend we had a break and, and the, you know, we'd go outside with the kids on the corner, you know, and, and give them snacks and stuff. And this car pulls up full of, full of dudes and they hop out and they got, you know, two by fours and knives and chain. Like, I, I don't think they had, I don't know if they had a gun or not, but they, they had, they came to do some damage to a couple of kids that were in our group wow. and that, even though they were those kids and within the group had kind of they were cool with each other enough to be around each other immediately when those that car came up they separated out again to who they you know who whatever group they were from the whatever gang they were from and so with it you know it was just chaos basically on that corner and i i don't know you know sometimes i'm sure you probably have been in these crisis situations where you don't think you just jump into action yeah. and so i just i kind of like jumped Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, beautiful people. It's your host, Drake, B. Drake with Everything Culture, and we are back with our Child Welfare Series. As you can see, we have some guests here. You know, we are honored and we are blessed to have some good folks in the building today. Um, We have, first of all, we got Javoris or Jabo, we may know him. Um, good fella, you know, you know, we're gonna have a future makers of you, but maybe by the time you've seen this, you've seen them. Um, but thank you for being here, J Bo. Yes, yes, sir. I'm, I'm happy to be here, man. Thank you for him. I've been wanting to be on here for a minute because what I don't know if you know, I tune in every now and then, so I'm happy to be here. Hey, we appreciate that every now and then, and we could we have you back for sure, for sure, man. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you. Um, next up, we have Felix. Y'all, y'all have seen Felix before. Welcome back, Felix, man. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. I'm so happy to be here and excited about this topic. You and I talked about this probably about a year ago or a little less. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, you know, there's um, Mr. Social <laughs> Worker as well, if somebody know him. And, you, and we have a new uh, new people, new brother, bring him on in, Ernesto Barajano. <laughs> yeah. I sat here. I sat here and watched you struggle with that. Instead of jumping in, I let you. I let you. <laughs> it's Bejarano, Bejarano. Bejarano. Hey, but you did good though. It's not an easy one. We'll keep trying though. We'll get it right. It's practice. We respect. All good. Practice. All good. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm. I'm excited. You know, it's a good morning for me out here on the West Coast. Um, I know you guys are a little ahead of me out there. Uh, but good morning, good afternoon. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I think I might be the the old man of this 
particular podcast, so <laughs> might have to sit back and let you young bucks do the heavy lifting for now. <laughs> I'll step in here and there. Oh, oh, see, look at it. See, I, I, I'm on the West Coast as well, so we right there together. I'm in Seattle. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, I'm in the Bay Area. Okay, the Bay. Okay, okay. Well, Ernesto yeah. is um is the social worker mentor mentor. Social work mentor, yes. Yeah, social work mentor. Um, Correct. And thank y'all once again. I, I already told y'all before we started the full recording. Now I'll be thanking y'all throughout this whole conversation. <laughs> and it's just thank that you. No need to thank us. <laughs> we need each right. other. You know? we, we, <laughs> we do need each other. And yep. I put this series together for the people who may be listen, listening for the first time is to bring awareness of child welfare from the, and the different perspectives of what, what is child welfare from the experiences from the caseworkers, the attorneys, the judges, the parents, the relatives, you know, and not only that, but also the adults who are children in the, in the state of the custody of the state or wherever they may be in place. What is it like? Okay. And I appreciate the transparency. I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate our professionalism going into it, but we all, we are people at the end of the day. And I want to make sure this is an opportunity for us to share our experiences as well as for future caseworkers, you know, as well as for people who may not know. So we can make things, how do you say easier? I don't want to say easier, but better. Let's say better Mm -hmm. for everyone. So I'll say, you know, getting into it. So starting off with, let's see where, where we're going to go. Let's go to, no, let's go to Ernesto. What oh, brought you into this? And this is a question for everybody, but we're going to start out with Ernesto. But what brought you into the work? How did you get into the work of child welfare or, you know, CPS? Let me see how I condense my story. So I guess, um, you know, growing up in the in the Bay Area and where I grew up, um, I think, you know, maybe a lot of us watching this or even on this podcast, we we had some lived experience coming up. Um, you know, I probably wasn't in the worst situation and it was, it was back in the day when things were a little bit different, just in terms of what was considered, um, you know, applicable for child, for child protection. Um, but you know, there, there was definitely some risk factors there looking back, but still there was also strengths. You know, I look at my family and, and it's easy to pick out always that be deficit based and pick out what went wrong. There was a lot that went right too, and and so I ended up in college. I went to to school up in up in Northern California, as far as you can go in college, uh, Northern California, uh, because I was a wildlife major. I always loved the outdoors. I still do, you know, getting out there and doing stuff. And I knew my whole life that's what I wanted to do. I only applied to one school. I only had that major because I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I got to that school. <clears throat> it's Humboldt. Well, it was Humboldt State University. Now it's Cal Poly Humboldt. But I went up there um, and I started taking my wildlife classes. And I was like, damn, this is a lot of math. I didn't. I, I thought it was just animals and stuff. This is hella math and all kinds of stuff. And I, I sucked at that. Maybe some of you might be able to relate. But <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> I was taking, you know, ethnic studies, sociology, criminal justice, psychology, and that's something that I I really didn't even know existed. Like, I had never been exposed to that. And I loved it. Like, it was so interesting to me. And, uh, you know, I um, I changed pretty quickly. I changed my major over to uh, to sociology. And, um, you know, I and it was just because I had been taking sociology classes. And I really 
like that. I didn't even really know yet about social work or anything. I, I was I was pretty uninformed for a lot of my you know early coming up times. But anyway, I changed my major to sociology, graduated with a bachelor's in sociology and criminal justice. Um, and then I, at that point, I, you know, I spent my high, my college, I played football and rugby, so I never really did internships or anything like that. And I, um, I didn't have any experience and I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was, again, I was ignorant, even at the point of graduation. And my friend asked me, what are you going to do now? Like the day after graduation, we were sitting out on the porch having a, a few beverages and he's like, what are you going to do now? And I, <laughs> yeah. I honestly, like, I really hadn't put any kind of serious thought into what's the next step. I was just trying to get to graduation. I made it there, but then, like, now what? So a friend of mine, his sister, she worked for the county where I'm from, um, and she got me, like, this job for a little contract. Well, she didn't give me the job. She got me connected to the interview, and I started, like, you know, back in those days, it was, uh, I think I started at $9 an hour, 20 hours a week, and then I just kind of started doing like parenting classes and mostly youth groups at that time in kind of like a community center setting. And that's when it really hit me. Like I said, oh, this is, this is it. This is, I loved the work. I love the connection to the people. I love feeling like I made a difference. And, and I recognized what a lot of what these, you know, people that I was working with, what they were going through, I went through the same thing. So it was like, you know, I was un definitely understanding it. And so to kind of put on end on it, I, the more I did it, the more I loved it. And here, you know, 27 plus years later, I'm still, I've, I've been lucky. I've been fortunate that within, I still work in the same county system, but I've been able to do a lot of different stuff within that system. Um, but it's always been around social work, mostly child welfare, but I've done some, um, you know, evaluation, prevention, school, or school-based social work, whole bunch of stuff. So, I think that I've taken up enough time for now, but that's my basic story of how I got into the work. So I, the, the old saying that you hear sometimes is that social, I didn't find social work, social work found me. I feel like that's 100% true for me because I didn't go looking for it, but I ended up here. So so um, so that's my story. Wow. Thank you, Ernesto. I mean, like, woo. <laughs> and you were the OG. I'm like, this is Hey, yeah. yeah, thank you for your service, brother. Like, we need to give you a hug, you know, like we'll we get into this. Why? But man, thank you. Thank you. Um, hey, thank you. Felix, drop something for us. How did you get into it? We're yeah, Martin. man. So, um, and I still, again, our stories may kind of sound redundant or the same, right? We, yeah. You know, I, I, I grew up single parent home, but we had a really strong support system. Um, and although I didn't grow up in the system, we benefited from some of the systems with SNAP and, and things like that. Right. Um, but, you know, I just remember as really a teen because I could see we were struggling. And I was like, man, I just I want to be able to help people who got a little like this. I just want to be able to help them. But I didn't know what social work case. I, I didn't know what none of that was. And, and so I went off, actually went off to college and I, I hold two associate degrees in graphic art and business management. So I'm like, I'm going to own a print shop. I'm, you know, I'm going to make, you know, programs for churches and stuff like that. That That's going to be my life. Right. And uh, by the time I, I at about, about the age of 19, I had finished JUCO 
And I was like, what's next? Right. And there, it, Ernesto, you hit it on the head. It was like social work chose me. It was like, OK, there's something else in life. So I go off to university, still not knowing what social work was, none of that. Um, and it was I had a professor by the name of Dr. Yvonne Woods um, and I was sitting in uh, sociology 101. Um, and I remember Dr. Woods basically telling me this is what you going to do <laughs> They're like this, this, this your niche right here. And I, and I still didn't know what it was. And I went off, did my internship and um, graduated um, and actually went into the school system and spent a year and a half within the school system um, teaching. Uh, and when I left the school system, I went into the field and was like, OK, this is it. Started working with children and families uh, through foster care and, and within the foster care division. Well, for, uh, private foster care wasn't necessarily with the county. And so my my entire career, 17 years, it'll be 18 years this year, but 17 years now, I've worked with children and families, uh, got into child welfare now almost six years ago. Um, and started as an investigator uh, within uh, Child Protective Services uh, and most recently have been blessed uh, to be promoted to supervisor of extended foster care for the state of Georgia. So, um, you know, my career has certainly taken um, our, our came full circle uh, and just looking forward to what else I can do for my community. So that's 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 my story in short. Oh, that's beautiful, brother. Beautiful. Oh man, okay, we got 27, 17 going on, 18. All right. If I do the math, that's like what 54 right there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's 44. That's 44. Uh -huh. Okay, 44. But All that right. man better than mine. I'm gonna tell you that now. <laughs> <laughs> With Jabo. Let's add to it, man. Let's get into it. Um uh, Ernesto and, and Felix, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, y'all, y'all's idea of it seems very positive because <laughs> i'm telling you i'm i you know when we really get into it i'm probably gonna drop it Damn, he shouldn't have really he shouldn't have been doing that you know but uh and listening to y'all it's crazy how you know the backgrounds are similar you know ray single mother yeah um single mother three i mean my mama she was amazing you know but it's yeah. just certain things you know a single mother can't protect or teach you you know so learning that throughout, you know, life as becoming a man. I learned to be a man from me learning to be a man, you know? Mm. Um, of course, you know, we was on assistance, food stamps, and all these different things. But my mama did, she bust our ass, man, just to provide. But, you know, I was in the streets a little bit. You know, people be so people be surprised when they meet me, you know, but I was in the streets fighting and this and that. But <laughs> the support system that was still there compared to my homeboys, you know, cliche who are dead or in jail yeah you know um it, when i say it's so cliche mm. and god you know rest in peace my uncle you know i remember a few years ago he was just sitting there looking at me and i asked him you know what was the problem and he said why you did he asked me why didn't you turn out like your friends and i said because i had y'all mm. they didn't have that uh they didn't have my uncle my grandmother my grandfather my aunts and like my family's close you know, so that's the reason I they are the reason why I am today. But to go into, you know, falling into social work, I went to college, which is crazy. I was over there laughing at Ernesto uh, because he's like, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I ended up changing my major. I went into college 
uh, majoring in uh, marketing. You know, wanting to always, you know, I want to be an actor. I've been known since I was 13 that I want to perform. I want to entertain. Going in, I said, boom, I can use marketing. I can mix my skills, you know, to create commercials. This is what I'm thinking going in. I get in that class and they like, you got to take algebra, college algebra, statistics and calculus. I said, oh, yeah, this not. No, we're going to change my major right now. We changing this major. Uh, changed my major to criminal justice. Um, it was amazing. Uh, I, I enjoyed about 75% of, of being just being in criminal justice. I say 75% because the rest was a lot of work. It was, it was hard, uh, but I learned so much. Coming up on graduation time, I didn't do no intern. I didn't do an intern. Um, I'm working at the movie theaters my, my senior year of college, and I'm like, what am I going to do? My friend is working at uh, DFAC, Division of Family Children's Services. You know, she saw me at the movie theaters like, yo, you want a job? I'm like, uh, what is it? She's like, social work? Like, what would I be doing? Where I love kids. I've been working with kids since I was about 15, y'all. Uh, camp counselor, uh, YMCA, Boys and Girls Club. I always had a passion for kids. I, I don't know why, because they get on my nerve, but I just love them. And boom. And that's when I fell into social work and I did it for five years. And I know we're going to break that down into, you know, category what we talk about. So that's how I got into it. Nah, right. Hey, hey, beautiful. Love it. Love it. Oh, man. And I got to have j and Ernesto back on for the makings of them very soon <laughs> because j you you almost, you all like, Hey, we ain't we ain't starting off with tears, okay? I'm like, I see this, <laughs> I see this about to get deep real quick, but um, yeah. And for the people who may not listen to the makings of me or Mr. D713 previously or Drake, you know, um, almost the same, you know. Community was brought me into this work, you know. It I came in with the goal of being in uh, engineer, you know, in college, but when I was in high school, I took nothing but I love psychology and sociology. And if, you know, I was, I'm, I'm awarded the state myself, but I never went into CPS custody. I did. I never went into state custody. I had a family member. Um, my mother, I shared, uh, my mother was a victim of substance abuse, um, mental health, um, it, mental health issue, awareness, schizophrenia, bipolar depression. Um, and she left me at home by myself um, for two months, no lights, no water uh, in the eighth grade. And I was just surviving. You know, I just, hey, you got to do what you got to do. Still going to school, still making good grades. Um, teachers, you know, um, you know, I went to a predominantly white <laughs> middle school and the teachers like, you know, and I was an office aide, but they were asked, so, um, Brandon, oh, like, how are you doing? You know, we haven't seen your mom sometime. How are everything going at the household? Oh, everything good. Mind your business. Well, everything good. You know, we taught mm-hmm. not to speak to other mm-hmm. folks outside yeah, of the mm-hmm. household. And... Uh, you know, but, you know, my aunt, I used to sneak through the window. I used to take showers at my best friend's house. His mother would let me in and things. You know, we had community. Um, I ended up, my aunt came to me and was like, hey, I know you've been lying about where your mother's been at. Because she used to go and check up on me. You know, same thing. A lot of people were like, how did you get here? I like, I lied. You know, I was protecting mm-hmm. my mother at the end of the day, which yeah. many children would do. We know this. And, you know, and my aunt was like, hey, I'm giving you two decisions. If you come live with me. Or you're going, um, I'm calling the police. Which one you want to do? I had to make what some make out the pimp decision. All right. <laughs> it was like, so 
I uh, went to go live with my aunt. My mother popped back up another month and a half or so ago, and half, but fast forward, she ended up passing away a year later. Um, and community helped me out so much throughout everything, uh, like all my life. And when I got to college, um, some mixed up in the transcript, um, engineer, well, it was an uh, electrical engineer and I wanted to do, but I took another psych course and I was like, man, this is my family. Every single day I come in, I had something I related to in my family. And I said, okay, I'm going to switch my major. This is what I want to do. I want to work with people. I want to help people. I want to get to know people. You know, and it's crazy that I'm doing this podcast today because this is it's all about God. <laughs> but um, look how you work. But um, <clears throat> it went into the work when I, honestly, it, it went into the work. My cousin was an attorney in family law. And then I have um, my mother-in-law now. Um, she was at the state in a different way, um, working with benefits. And they told me a few things, and I shot my shot. Um, honestly, it took a long time for them to reach out. And this is in 2009. And But boom, I got in and took the test. Took the interview, the test, all that, got in, and bam, I'm in it. And it, it was just something like, it was meant to be. That's the best way I can put it. Like, and that's what it goes back. I didn't choose it. It chose me at the end of the day, you know, because I really, my goal is to be a judge at the end of it all. But it, it was an interesting, you know, journey into it. I feel like, once again, the experience I've had in life brought me into the work that I'm, I, I'm, I'm still doing. I may not do it as paid. I'm a volunteer now, but it brought me into this realm, this different world, this different universe of child welfare. And hopefully through this conversation, more people would get into more involved because we need more to be aware of what's happening. So, so I said, I, and I went to, I've been in this work for, as an employee, I was at CPS for two years. I was at an organization by the name of Child Advocates or better known as CASA for eight years. And I've been a CASA volunteer for the past four years now. So we add all the numbers up. Yeah, we, that's what we got. And I've been doing this, informing people for the past three years about what is child welfare, what is the history of CPS, what are some tips, and what are some you know advice to give people, and my and sharing my experience. So hopefully, once again, I learn from the work that I've done to educate people. But it got me thinking about going all the way back to the beginning. Okay, all throughout. <laughs> When you got like, because I was I worked in something called conservatorship, so I worked. My job was working with kids and family once the case opened. All right. Mm -hmm. So if like you know we have investigations where you know usually you may have four to five, but usually four is investigations, family based safety services, or basically family preservation, mainly a service that keeps kid like the kids stay in the home. And the state or the county provides services to that family. Um, parent, all the same things, but the kids staying home with the parents. Conservatorship is when the state, uh, a legal case has started. And it's a case of the, the state of whatever versus said parent, usually the mother, until you get the DNA on father. And then the last one that we usually have is adoption prep. Um, and that's when termination have happened and they're looking for permanent placement. This is specifically to the Department of Family Protective Services of the state of Texas. Um, but I was in conservatorship. And when I was going through training, I was like, okay, conservatorship, good. I, I appreciate it because once again, I say it's the second hardest cock can do investigations. All right. 
And but I would say I want to hear from y'all. What was that? You know, if you if y'all watch football, anything about it, or anything in the NFL, they always say, you know, you would see that big hit, and it's like, welcome to the NFL. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't see those big hits no more. They took that out. Oh, <laughs> true, true. <laughs> we get them every now and then. Oh, oh, oh! Yeah, some are still out there. They just don't get up the same way. But man, yeah, that's true. But I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking like Ragey Bush. Like we knew that. Remember that big hit? What was your oh, yeah. big hit when you like? Okay, I'm in the state. Like I'm here. I know exactly mine. I can tell you <laughs> off, off the bat. Uh, and it, it, mine wasn't a specific case. It was just being in the organization, right? Mm. So. I remember going through training. Training was two weeks, right? Two weeks? Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, thrown to the wolves. God. To the wolves. I, and keep in mind. And you did was, it for five years? Five years. I was a vet. I was considered a vet. I was yeah, after like six months. Yeah. yeah. Really, after, after six, six months. months to a year. Yeah. As a black man at, at my age at the time, and six months, they're like, you're a vet. I'm like, hold on. I don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, slow down now. So, training two weeks, right? I kid you not. We did. It was from eight to. It was from eight to four p.m. Right. Four thirty, they sent me my caseload. Mm-hmm. It, it was thirty-seven kids on my caseload. Thirty-seven kids on my caseload. I was in. I was in the windows after training. I remember. I was in the windows. And they, I got an email. Hold on, hold on. That's a lot of kids on this right here. And that was it. That was for me. Was my hope. like me not under. I said I got. I can do this right. But when I started working on it, I was like, this is too much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is too much for one person. For one person, this is too much. And wow, which we we probably gonna get into that too. As a, yeah. I was a young black man in a predominantly white area so uh, that those are a whole that's a whole different yeah yeah different that's a whole nother beast with, right yeah. so that was my that was my uh welcome to social work for me and i did foster care too by the way y'all okay 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 mine was mine would have been um i was actually doing foster care i was young i was still mid-20s uh, and one of my first cases was a family group, family sibling group of seven. And the youngest of the seven had been severely abused by the mom. Mm. Um, he was wow. he was three. Uh, and he after the abuse, he, he from going from a healthy three year old to blind, paralyzed with a trachea. Wow. And uh, that was my first case, that sibling group of seven. Uh, and the fact that I got to see them from coming in to the abuse that they had endured up to the point of adoption, um, that, that that was my, this is where you belong. That was mm-hmm. a hard case because at the time the mom was my age and had mm-hmm. these seven kids. Yeah. Um and and so thinking about me at that age, I'm like, 
I'm out here still trying to run the numbers up. <laughs> I'm still trying to run the numbers up, and she she right here got a basketball team plus two. But um, but but watching watching those kids uh, be able to go to good homes, uh, and most recently even here, you know, unfortunately, some of the older males, you know, life just happened for them. And they mm-hmm. uh, are are in the prison system now, right? Um, but knowing where they started, I could see it. It's just it it just wasn't enough time to keep them up from it, if if that makes sense. But yeah, mm-hmm. that was my that was my punch in the gut. Like, okay, this way you belong. Yeah, mm. and mine was probably uh, probably have a, a. I mean, it's been so long ago, but it's probably like yeah. two, one kind of less positive, one more positive. But so. As I mentioned early on, I used to do a lot of youth programming at this center where I worked, and this was in the '90s. So in California, in the Bay Area, it was it was like, you know, probably the peak of kind of gang stuff going on. At least where I where I was from, um, it was it was pretty serious at that time. And so we had a youth group, and you know, foolishly or or hopefully or whatever, we kind of brought together youth from. There's two main gangs basically where where I live, and we brought them together in this youth group. And they actually like we set set the boundaries, set the guidelines right up front. And it was every weekend, every Saturday morning, and um, you know things were cool. We were probably you know halfway through that curriculum. It, I think it was a 16, 18 week curriculum. And then one weekend we had a break. Every weekend we had a break, and and the you know we'd go outside with the kids on the corner, you know, and, and give them snacks and stuff. And this car pulls up full of full of dudes and they hop out and they got you know two by fours and knives and chain like i I don't think they had i don't know if they had a gun or not but they they had they came to do some damage to a couple of kids that were in our group and that even though they were those kids and within the group had kind of they were cool with each other enough to be around each other immediately when those that car came up they separated out again to who they, you know, who whatever group they were from, the, whatever gang they were from. And so with it, you know, it was just chaos basically on that corner. And I, I don't know, you know, sometimes I'm sure you probably have been in these crisis situations where you don't think you just jump into action. Yeah. And so I just, I kind of like jumped, you know, things were being swung around by this point. Not, luckily no one got hit, no one got hurt, but I kind of jumped in the middle of it all. And like, you know, just kind of, I kind of put myself at risk without thinking about it, but I just like got everything separated, got everything calmed down. Also my people helping me. And then, um, you know, those dudes took off. We kind of deescalated them, the guys in the car. And then we got everybody inside and we, you know, we spent most of the kids went home, but the ones that were really involved, we processed that through them and, and kind of went through it. We called in some of our gang experts and it was like pretty transformative for those kids because it was like from start to finish, we went through that whole process with them of, you know, the the gang, the violence, all that stuff to the point of like, you know, re reestablishing some cohesiveness in the group with these competing gangs. And so, so at that point, basically I was like, man, this, I was like on a, you know, my adrenaline was flowing, you know, I felt good that we had stopped, you know, the any harm and, and we had processed them through. And just seeing that whole thing play out within a few hours, it was, I was like, 
I'm in. Like this, uh, you know, it, felt, it brought back some memories from my childhood of things that had gone on. And I felt like when I, that stuff happened when I was a kid, I was just an observer. There was nothing I could do about that. I just saw all this bad stuff go down. But now I could do something about it. And so that, that was one thing. And then real quick, the other one, I also did parenting classes at that time. And I was young, 20-something. I didn't have kids at the time. And that, you know, a lot of parents will point that out immediately. I don't if you're going to tell me to do this, mm-hmm. these were mandated court mandated parenting classes. So like, you know, mm-hmm. questioning me and they were hundred percent right. You know, all I had behind me was the school and the curriculum and, and, you know, the theories and all that. But I felt like I did come at it again with some learn, so, some lived um, experience and some perspective. And at the end of the day, like at the end of those weeks, I, I, this might have been more impactful than the other one, actually. It was just so impactful, like the gratitude that they showed that some some of the classes were in Spanish, so they would call me like Don Ernesto, which is like a really term of respect. And I was like this young kid compared to them, their parents, older people, but they're like talking to me like as a person of respect. And I was like, man, it's crazy how these people hated me week one and, and had every bad thing in the book to say about me. But now they're like, They treat me with this level of respect that I don't deserve. And so, you know, just again, knowing the impact that I could have um, on people going through rough times, it just that locked me in. And ever since then, you know, the same story repeats itself, you know, over and over. But those were the first ones that probably really hooked me. Wow. Wow. Love it, man. Um, I was listening. Yeah, I'm trying to think with my. The first one that's and I'm in it in it, it was like, oof, it's work. It, I got numerous different occasions, but I my first one was I, it probably come from my first case. Um when I was in BSD. And I went through uh three months of training, by the way. Um uh, basic skills development. <laughs> like <laughs> two weeks. I'm sorry. I'm like <laughs> see, but that's a conversation we get on to uh, how some like many times, even with three months. With him, and that's what goes into my story with improper supervision and leadership. You're thrown to the wolves. That's mm-hmm. what I was told. I even had a um, mm-hmm. a peer trainer that was a huge help. Rest in peace, Tamara, man. But it was one of those things where I had my first case uh, coming out of BSD. You know, it was a little slow. And right when I got out of training, I received 17 children. And right after that, I, re- I was up to 32, 33. Okay. And for while we, if y'all don't understand, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, uh, and when you're in foster work, you're in a foster care division or a conservatorship, you have to visit each one of those children monthly. Once a month, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Once a month, whatever. The, and you have to. We go yeah. add other things you got to do as well. But you have to like place not only place your eyes on them, make sure they're okay, and you have to interview them. And I remember before yeah. I left, they were like, you have to interview each child one hour. How? But so, anyway, so, let me ask a question. So, so can I ask a question? Yeah, this is a conversation. So, so, was the was the child the only person you needed to see that for that month? Oh no, you needed to see the parents. No. You needed to see the children. You okay. needed to, and that's on top of the family visits too, as well okay. as going to court, as well as writing up court reports, as well uh-huh. as doing all the paperwork. And okay. crises, unexpected, unexpected blow up crises every other day. Let your kid run away. 
Did y'all have teenagers? Oh, my God. Oh, don't mm-hmm. okay. Let me tell you. Yeah. Let me tell you. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into okay. it. Okay. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we're rolling into it. Okay, yeah, then kind of yeah. goes with my thing. So I had a family of four. Yeah. I'm still the mentor <laughs> of one of the kids till this day, okay? 12, mm-hmm. 13 years ago, all right? And but the thing was, uh, my supervisor switched. My supervisor went to a different department. And something I learned when I was a case where they used to tell me was like, hey, to prevent burnout, and we'll talk about burnout very soon. To prevent burnout, yes. you need to move around. You cannot stay in the yeah. same side of work. Yeah. And but at the same time, I was told this by my peer trainer at the beginning was like, but beware if you have a poor supervisor and you're doing a good job, they're going to try to write you up before you can move yeah. around. I'm like, the hell no that ain't gonna happen that won't happen what is not gonna happen but case in point my first case was crazy i had a 17 year old 15 year old 11 and an eight okay and the mother that came in they came into custody because the mother tried to run over someone in the she was trying to do a drug deal somebody was trying to cheat out the money she tried to run over the person in the car with the kids in the car by the way the kids in there that's a whole nine and uh, and this is when her first run in, but you know, coming in, reading everything, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm green beyond ears to say, I'm trusting this stuff. I'm calling the mother, trying to get her to do the services. We had something called a permanency uh, meeting. Okay, that means when you everybody get together and they do a checkup on what is going on in the case. All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Basically, I've been calling the mother. I ain't got no sir. I ain't talked to her at all. I don't have any paperwork, nothing. She ain't done nothing. So I come in there like she hasn't done anything, completed anything. <laughs> Mama came in there. Showed up. I knew it. I Showed knew up it. with paperwork. <laughs> and I'm talking about she had parenting classes. She had so, like all these um, everything. everything. I'm like, wait a minute. And my supervisor just like, Mr. Drake, you disappoint me, you know. And probably like, like that was such a disappointing. But I don't, I don't go yeah. failure in my work in, in life. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, no, no, like. I'm I'm telling you the truth. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. I call like I can't do. You can do so much. Mm-hmm. But, I never forget after that meeting, I sat back and because the kids, I, I remember placing the kids with the aunt, placing them all together and, you know, a lot of tears. And, you know, I, I talk about that a lot, but that emotional part of me coming down to the work and kind of find out she like falsely executed everything. Everything was a lie. Like <laughs> she fake parent, that parenting class did not exist. Um, oh, wow. said she she said she's on um, probation, so she has a probation officer. That's why she don't do our UAs because she do UAs to them, which don't make no damn. And my supervisor supported that. That now I think back right now, like that don't make no damn since you still got to do mm-hmm. ours, you know. Yeah. But yeah. case in point, she was. I can never find a probation officer because I call, call, call. She wasn't on probation. She was actually had a warrant out for her arrest, and when it been found, she's been fleeting. So all these things she been a lot about, but in that meeting she made me feel like the biggest fool in the room and by doing that it showed me like people know how to manipulate systems and things and well and and but the way she was going by harming her kids how and that's and that, i would say this right now to y'all and everybody listening that would make me wary about giving people advice sometimes about child welfare and the system kind of want people to misuse it for their own benefit and not for the children's yeah. benefit yeah you know, so um yeah, so that that case right there, and that started out the experience of mistrust within supervision. Um, you know, Felix be back. Um, mistrust within supervision. 
um, I don't have to say mistrust of parents because a lot of people want to protect, but it also pushed me to protect these kids because the younger kid, especially one of them, he was in fear of his mother, like, of, like completely afraid of her. But right there, um, it started my stress. And then the follow up when I can go on to the Casa and when I had my first jury trial and things, but when I realized being at the state, it was when I. I don't know if there's an anxiety attack, whatever, I guess it, but I was at my desk and it was like so many things happened at once. My kids ran away. Uh, one of my kids ran away in one case. I had a court, a special court report just popped out of nowhere. Like, um, and it was just like, father, it was just a lot happening all at once. And I seized up at my desk. Like, like I couldn't move. I couldn't turn my head, anything. And I was like, what? And I'm 22, 23 at this time. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, like, just to get my body back, I was like, nah. And I had to start going to therapy because of my job. I had mm. to get that EAP, <laughs> Employee Assistance mm. Program. And I was like, man. And, mm. and and it helped out a lot because, you know, I don't know because, you know, we have issues before we all come from different. I don't know if something triggered me or anything of that nature. But sometimes, mm-hmm. oh, and I had a dad that used to try to buck up to me all the time, you know, and I'm like, yo. This ain't this ain't what we need to be right now. I'm like, I have too much going on. But yeah, that was like when I realized right then from being it that the embarrassment part and the, you know, and just had to go back and do the work and clean up again to where I couldn't move, I couldn't control my body in a certain short period of time. That was like, okay, this is different. This is different. I, I and I used to do repo. I tell people I used to get guns pointed right in my face. Um, do, and I would rather do repo than go back. So that's when I say when I see Felix and Ernesto for the years y'all put into it, thank y'all. Me and y'all. Hug y'all, for real. Because <laughs> like I, I do it like almost, I, I still do it, but man, it, it's a lot of work going into it. And it's, it's a life-changing career. Every career. Yeah, I think, I think one, one of the things that you said that, you know, about moving around and, and kind of not getting too stagnant. I mean, I, I I don't see this as much anymore, but for back in the day a little bit, you would see people that would literally like go into one area of child welfare and they'll be there for 30 years and retire. Like they, that was their thing or it just wasn't a, a concept to move around a lot, at least where I'm from. So they would get I don't in know and they do it. I don't either, but, but they, uh, there was, you know, a good chunk of people that used to do that. But I think it's true that you, it's important to not stay in one place too long for many people, yeah. at least, because it, it can be so emotionally, spiritually, physically mm. draining. Mm. Um, and you know that, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, like, because you said, um, you don't know if it was because you got triggered by something in your past or whatever. That might be part of it for some of us, but it's just it's crazy work sometimes and you work whether or not you got yeah whether or not you got triggered from it from your own past or not it's not normal or normal situations or or it's just kind of when it's in your face so much despair and and things going on that it's it's you know if you've come up somewhat um in a i'll just use the word normal upbringing yeah it's hard to say that but but, you know, it, it just hits you. So, uh, And then the last thing I wanted to say that you, you brought up so many good thoughts is that when I first started in child welfare and, and, and social work in general, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go work in this office. All these people have 
MSWs, BSWs, they've been trained in human behavior. So it's going to be like a good environment. And when I, you know, when I tell you what you already know, the toxicity levels in, oh like I said, supervisors who are like, <laughs> like manipulating. Oh, the trauma and, bonding. Yeah. The, like, like people are actively going against you to try to mm. like do whatever they're trying yeah. to do. And, you know, it's burnout, it's stress, it's, you know, their own, like we said, past traumas, but still, like, that was another thing that hit me, a gut punch, a, a, a Reggie Bush moment, maybe, is like, you know, these, this, this is not what I expected from these professionals, quote yeah, unquote professionals. Yeah. And that, that sometimes was, was more, not sometimes, I might even say most of the time, yeah. that was more uh, stress yeah. than the families themselves. It was these co-workers, co-workers. I'm glad, well, I'm glad you, and I'm to be and that. to be honest, no, go ahead, go ahead, Felix. Um, yeah, they, yeah, because uh, and to be go. honest, yeah, I was gonna say, you know, to be honest, like if we just go there, being a man, it, the, the, the cat, sometimes mm-hmm. the cattiness. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but yeah. either the cattiness or mm-hmm. the fact, you know, I, there were times where I felt like I was not seen or heard. Mm. Even though I'm sitting in the room, I felt that yeah. there were times when, okay, we know you're here, but we don't want to hear what you got to say because this mm. is what we're going to oh, do. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of times it was, this is what we're going to do, whether you like it or not. And I'm like, but where I'm, is my voice? And I'm the yeah. one doing the where, work. Right. So, where so. is my voice at? And so I found that to be hard. Um, and even when you speak on it, you know, you become this aggressive. The aggressor, and it's like, no, I'm really ag- uh, advocating that I want my voice heard. I know I'm a man, yeah, but I want my voice heard in this room too. Uh-huh. So mm. it's interesting. It's interesting that that I'm glad. So it's it, it's I'm happy to see and speak. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. It looked like you was frozen. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just happy to see and talk to other men and minorities about this experience, right? Yes. So yeah. I'm open about it. I tell people about time. So I haven't done the work in three three years. I was actually fired from defects, mm. right? They couldn't tell me why. They wouldn't tell me why. I mean, prior to me being fired, my supervisor was talking to me about becoming trying to become a supervisor. Um, so it caught it blindsided me, right? And then, once, you know, once I was out of it, I got to thinking. I, I was the loudest, right? Mm-hmm. And, when I, and when I say I was the loudest, I was the one speaking on, uh, okay, well, we got people with 40 cases. What are we doing to bring people in or to get these cases? Oh, I, I'm going to speak with someone because what y'all are doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. was a case. That was a case. Oh, I, I spoke my mind. They hated it. There was a case they tried to get me to lie in court. One, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was just that one. They tried to give me the line across. I looked them dead in the eyes. My my county director, my supervisor, and the CPS supervisor. I said, I'm not lying. Mm. I said, I'm not lying. You know that, like what Ernesto said. I had more problems with yeah. workers. Um, I had more problem with workers and foster parents than I did the families themselves. Mm. I was expecting parents to be defiant and think I had the highest return return rate out of any other case manager in my county. 
because I was working with my parents. I was working on a level that I'm not better than you. I oh. want to understand what the hell y'all are dealing with because something clearly ain't right here. That's something yeah, you know, and they hated it, but that job took a toll on me. There were days where I would yeah. literally go in my room and sit in the dark. I didn't want to talk to nobody. Yep. Because just to hear the phone ring one more damn time, you know, about issues, yes, it, 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 it was just too much. It was too much. You, you get to now, work. You get to work. You see that little now, red light flashing on the iPhone. If that ringtone <laughs> go off right now in the store, I got PTSD from it. Listen, we had yes, Android. Yes. We had Android, and that Android ring PTSD for me, like for real. I, to this day, it's been three years, and I'm like, oh my god, I, yeah. oh my god, I hate that ring song. Uh, well, you know, Javoris, what I was going to say real quick too that when you said um, that, you know, you speak up, and and also Felix, like as a man in this profession, um, you know, you speak up, and you're kind of seen a certain kind of way, and but that's not only in, the impact of that. I have found. Is not only in the moment. There's like career repercussions mm -hmm. for for yes. speaking up. You know, for yes. giving voice, not being respectful, being you know everything you need to be in order to participate. And yet, it comes across, I guess, a certain way. And then when it comes time, you know, if you want to promote or if you want to do certain things, people mm -hmm. remember. Oh, that's that. That's that guy that you know. The that said that thing in that meeting. Yep. You know, and and you know, like I said, I'm 27 years in. I've been fortunate to kind of be able to move around, but I've definitely seen those repercussions of mm -hmm. speaking up yeah. and speaking mm -hmm. your voice, all in the effort to advocate at the end of the day for these kids and families. That's all you're trying to do. Yep. But it's a different style of communication or whatever it is that yep. impacts your career than your family, and you know, it, it, the repercussions reverberate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gotta say this. Thank y'all. Once again, <laughs> for real, for real. All, all y'all, man, all the caseworkers out there too. But Ernesto, you kicked it. I, I was going to get into it, Ernesto. You brought it right in, right on time, man, because <laughs> it's a reason why I wanted men on this episode. You know, we I had one with the ladies already. You know, great conversation. I saw it. Yeah, 70 man. something cases. Yes. Oh, <laughs> ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that, that, that's I, I don't know if y'all seen the episode of uh, Law and Order where Whoopi Goldberg is a supervisor in CPS. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a case um, in, out of New York, and so basically the case manager had to take the fall. Yet upper management was, yep. you know, basically oh. in on the setup, um, for lack of a better word. But what I saw in there was that this dude, he was doing good work when he started and they kept piling them cases, piling them cases, oh. but wasn't bringing in workers to help un unload the cases. And his work started failing. He started lying. And then we had a mm -hmm. dead child. And that's e yep. that's so easy to happen. It happens right? all the and time. And and you yep. and, and if you're not and he it happens all the time. And yep. I even made a comment just recently uh, in my orientation class because I'm one week into this supervisor stuff. But I, I made a comment that it's easy to make that choice, but it's it's but it's hard to say I'm not going to do it because when you say you're not going to do it. You, you got to figure out, you got to see that there's going to be some consequences from upper management. When you mm -hmm. say, no, I'm not going to falsify this document. Mm -hmm. No, 
Mm-hmm. Or you got to make the choice, the decision where my stomach is cramping. I'm hungry. I ain't ate since twelve o'clock. It's six o'clock, but I yep. got this six. I got this visit at six fifteen, mm-hmm. and I got to make a choice. Am I gonna go to this visit hungry, or am I gonna falsify this document? Because if I falsify mm-hmm. this document, I'm going to jail. I'm gonna lose mm-hmm. my job, my ability to earn money, make money, yep. and also this kid can yep. die if I don't yep. go to this house. And when I was a caseworker, not when I became a guardian light, but when I was a caseworker, once again, thank y'all, thank y'all, thank y'all, seriously. Man, like everything y'all saying, my emotions are just going wild in my body right now. Mm-hmm. But when I tell you, I used to, I'm glad I used to have CASA on uh, quite a few of my cases because I would go into court knowing the recommendation I have is not the best recommendation for the children of the family. Mm-hmm. Knowing good and, yep, yep. Good, good and well. Yep. I'm stop cursing. Good and well that it was not the best interest for anybody. Yeah. Nobody should why are we even doing this? Yep. It's, it's because. Well, it's been sent yeah. down from yes. the, the the administrators above yes. on down here. But I'm like, yep. based on the facts yep. and stuff that's been given, I'm like, what's going on? This mother has done this. Oh, we have this relative. I had ooh, the corruption. Yep. The corruption yep. is disgusting. And once again. When you speak up on it, just like anything, when you speak up on an entity or any, uh, government yeah. process, and when you point out they're wrong, oh, you're a target. Yep. You're a problem. Yeah. And, yep. and what you yep. said, J-Bo, um, about, I think it was, you said when they pile all that paperwork or maybe oh, well, Felix, they pile all that paperwork on you, it was a term for that. I'm, they're going to write you out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Writing you out yep. is giving you so much. Like, you will burn out. It's no way possible yep. that you can survive that. And yep. you're going to slip up somewhere. And that's the yep. best way to get you out. Instead of just, because it's hard to terminate someone, you know, at the, in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. But the way to do it is just give you so much. And the same you, can't do, you can't perform the duties of your job. There you go. There yeah, you not go. in Georgia. It's easy in Georgia. See, see. And yeah, Georgia is an at will state. <laughs> And so we, they they don't yeah. even have to give you a reason. Nope. The, the state, the, mm-hmm. the Texas is nope. too. But the thing is that the way they roll about it, it it's like it was a case. I think I sh- I don't know. If, I think I shared it in the video or I shared it on TikTok. Well, I know people shared it with me about um, people being upset about the lack of caseworkers, but they're like caseworkers dropping the ball. Well, we got to fire that caseworker. Whatever well, well, the lack of caseworkers, <laughs> you know, you're not solving the problem. And, but, and can, yeah. can I back up a little bit? One, yes. one right quick. When when do y'all remember that Gabriel Fernandez case that was on yes. Netflix? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, mo- yes most yes. people were amazed, right? Not amazed, but shocked. And I'm, I was over here like, I was over here like, I completely yeah. Understand. I was like, oh, this is too. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I get all. I was watching it like, oh, I get all of this. Yeah, honestly, yeah. like I understand yeah. what everything. I'm sitting here like, what they did was they put too much work on this case manager. The case manager couldn't do it. He reported it to the supervisor. Supervisor ain't give a damn. You know, so I was I was not shocked whatsoever. But and, and when and I it's like me, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Say, it's like it's like a vicious cycle. What you were saying, Drake, like about uh, you know the when you come into the field, like if if you got a supervisor who's not supporting you, who's actively against you or whatever, mm-hmm. like I feel like all the way up the chain, people are what's that phrase? Uh, biting off your nose to spite your face or something like that. Like you're. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get rid of this one worker or whatever, but in doing so, you're establishing a certain culture, a certain 
mentality in your little area or in that department. And then, mm -hmm. you know, you want new people, new young workers full of energy, full of, you know, ready to go in this field. But they get there and now they got this toxic environment. So they ain't going to stay there. Kids, I mean, right. these younger people, especially now, they're smart. They, they, yep. they feel that they sense that and they're out. Yeah. And so now these supervisors who or managers or even workers who are burned out, stressed, you know, they're not getting the reinforcements. So their caseloads are building up because they ain't getting no one in or they ain't keeping nobody. So nobody's staying there. So, you know, that fresh group of social workers that comes in that fresh cohort five out of ten leave so now instead of having some of your caseload relieved you're just getting piled up those cases from the ones that didn't stay plus you know the ones that get run off or written out or whatever so so like the cycle of instead of like fostering a healthy environment healthy caseload support well-being all those kinds of things it's just micromanagement it's it's um compliance let me check your numbers. I don't know how to do it, but just do it like all that. And, yep. you know, if they maybe if a different route was taken overall, we might be able to little by little build this up to where people want to come, want to stay, want to do the work for the reasons that we all talked about that got us here, like that mm -hmm. impact that it has. But there's just so much going against it that it's hard to bring people or maintain people in the office. The retention. Mm -hmm. yeah. Social yeah, retention. A social worker mentor, social work mentor, Ernesto, you, <laughs> let me tell you, it's, so that's why I want to get to a point, you know, when we go wrap this up is I want to hear from everyone, you know, we ain't there yet, but how did we make that change? What mm -hmm. do we want to see different? Because once again, when I was, like I was saying earlier, when I was a caseworker and I knew I didn't want to, the recommendation, right, I would tell like, hey, the caseworker, this is what you need to do, the volunteer, yeah. this is what you need to yep. do. That you need mm -hmm. to combat me here, attorney. That's what you, it's like. I have to go into a whole different huddle to let yeah. them y'all, y'all, yeah. I'll tell embarrass me if you got to, yeah. Because I like this ain't this ain't this ain't. I, I, yeah. I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna read this paper that's been like I wrote the court report. These recommendations that was reviewed are not my own, and but I would say mm -hmm. I'm representing the state of Texas, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. And this was being said and going forward. And when I cross exam, I'm yes, no. And court, I love court. I'm not going to lie. I love court and I hate court at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Because court is where you get to think, get things done. Yeah. That unfortunately, yeah. side, that's when you really get the law and stuff handled. Yeah. Like the emotional work is on the, is outside of court. Sometimes it's in court too. But when I'm like, there's like everything else is like the scrimmaging, the practicing, the working out, the gym. But when I go to court, that's when I'm, that's game day. Okay. I'm here mm -hmm. to really, handle business all right and if, if y'all listen to the previous episode like my home girl say i was different like jay but i was the one that spoke i i've been threatened to be held in contempt in court i've objected in court before i've been in three to four different jury trials um and when i started training people how to testify and how to represent yourself in court i said always tell the fact tell your recommendation based on the facts not your opinion uh -huh. You get your opinion and your feelings into it. That's how they start tearing you up in court. But when I just yeah. say this is what happened and this is why, and you're like, and it's like being the caseworker, you're damn near an attorney. Okay, you do you so are. much as the like. I've had Kate attorneys because once again, family law is different. And for the ones who don't know, <clears throat> I know in Texas, I don't know about in other states. In law school, they do not train you about CPS family law. Mm -mm. 
There's no training for that. Nope. So caseworkers, even if you had two weeks <laughs> coming to training, you know more than an attorney. When I tell you an attorney, and like when I came out, I was making thirty. When I started, I was making thirty six thousand annually. That what you were making start out. Yeah, wasn't enough. But twenty six. <laughs> that's what I was saying. <laughs> I was I was I was making twenty six. Honestly, I was making twenty five right out of college. But oh, yeah, that was a lot of years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I was in that range, and and the the crazy thing though, even though it was at the bottom of the ladder, but I was I remember thinking, man. I made it. I, I'm making twice as much as my dad ever made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember thinking that, like, I'm already making more than my dad has ever made in his life, and I was, you know, that's yeah. just, you know, giving props yeah. to my dad for doing that work to get me in that position. But now looking back, I was like, damn, how did I, how right. did I even go to the clubs or whatever at that time with that kind <laughs> right. of figure. Because gas like, was 89 cents. Oh, see. It was, it was, see. I came out yeah. right. It was right the year after the Obama one. And we we were in a recession. You know, we were in that recession. It was hard. I was about to become a parole officer. That's what I was about to become. Because mm-hmm. the state wasn't hitting me back in time. I needed to do something. But, man, when I tell you um, that, that th- you, you know, you get paid once a month. Okay. I know that you get that one check at the beginning of the month. I saw a lot of my peers did not make it. I, I believe it. Right out of college, extremely stressful job. Get get that one check. You got to carry that check on until another thirty days. It was mm-hmm. a lot. Of, I was, let me let me tell you. Once again, I was in conservatorship, but I was cool with everybody across all departments. Okay, I am who I am. If you know me from TikTok, the personality you see on TikTok is the I am that in real life. Okay, real. And I was cool with some investigation um, investigators and things of that nature and family based safety service workers. I used to see the investigators go through so much. I had this one girl, Diamond. I don't know if she even like remember me, but I never forget what to go on visits with her and stuff. And I remember one day I was walking by and she just broke down in her cubicle crying. <laughs> just I mean, under control. And they like, you know, you doing your work, da da da. Then you just hear somebody holler mm-hmm. and scream and break down. I'm like, and you see, then I start hearing that one. It's like, and and going back to where Ernesto say, I sometimes you you feel like this is normal. This shit ain't normal. No, yeah. it, 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 it really isn't. The type of trauma that you see, the type of re, just the secondary post traumatic right. stress that we receive, and then we work in get into it. Like I, I t- that's why I don't watch anything with Tyler Perry. I don't watch anything on anything that did with drama that's fictional, mm-hmm. anything of that nature. Keep it away from me. Anything- let, me ask, let me ask y'all this: how, how many times have y'all cried while y'all while y'all did the work? Oh my God! I cried, bro. I, I don't. I've I've had to walk out of a house, yes, and go sit in my car, yes, and break down, yes, and then get my life together and go back in that house, yes. Or I remember or in a meeting. I'll give you a quick story. I give you a quick story. I man, I was so overwhelmed. This was when I was in the investigation. I was so overwhelmed, and I, like my body was physically shaking. And I was on call that day and had mm-hmm. got an on-call assignment and I'm just, I'm physically, and I was sitting in this supervisor's office, my big old grown 40 some year old man. And I had, I was ugly crying with snot and tears and (laughs) just hyperventilating. And 
and and then to hear them say, you know, calm down. I'm like, how are you telling me to calm down when I got 45 cases? I'm on call. This mm -hmm. case is blowing up literally right now. And I still got to go across town because I got this visit scheduled today. And, I, and don't and forget I, your documentation. It, it was too much. Yeah, documentation. And still got to document all of it, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I remember breaking down and I... I was mad, I, and I'm gonna be honest. As I'm, I'm gonna say it this way: that was a, but I was mad at myself mm. because I let them see me cry. Mm. Because from that moment on, it was, it was, it was a type of a vibe in the office, right? Mm. And I was like, man, I let them see me cry, and, and, the, and, the, and I the let them back, see me break. Down the fact that you because I didn't want them to know that they had got to me. But the fact that you needed it, and I don't understand, but we have to cry. Like when you said go to the car, I've gone to the car numerous times because you're trained to be professional, you know. Because even yeah. I had, yeah, if yeah. You, my favorite movie, The Color Purple, okay, okay. And I'm like, I never did. <laughs> One of my kids, I remember she, how she, we went to go see her, and, um, we went to go see her at school, me and the volunteer. And this is after I, I was at Casa, and I'm with him and we train them like, hey, don't be emotional in front of the children. You are, you know, we got to come off as professionals. You don't want them to take mm -hmm. the attention from them onto you. And she, we go to school and she was like, you know, we we just did a, a quick pop up. We went in a different room and things of that nature. She was in high school and she just started talking about how another girl at school, she was just about to get in a fight. Black girl. Uh, she was about to get in a fight because this girl called her the B word. Okay. And she said, I don't like when people call me anything out of my name, be where anything come my mother. That's all my mother did. My mother never called me by my name. My mother did, you know, just and she just went so and, and like she talking about the abuse and she opened up to us about more abuse that was happening. You know, it was like that's the thing. The case could open up because something to neglect or something physical. Yeah. You start working that case, oh Not it could be whoa. Bro. <laughs> I never seen them blow up. Yeah, oh, yeah. The type yeah. of sexual abuse yeah. that we happens and no, yeah. and we catching it's like, oh my god, yeah. no. Yeah. But when I tell you this yeah. girl started going in, and I'm like, ooh, and like, like I'm like, hey, don't cry, don't cry. You got to be strong yeah. in front of the yeah. kid, and you got your yeah. volunteer right here. Then you can, you know, you set this example. So we got to be strong, man. I look to my um right. This grown white man is in heap. His whole face red. <laughs> he just ball. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you though, but man, it's like, it's yeah. but I like because though we are people, we are humans, and mm -hmm. it may come off to many of us because some people don't care. I would say that some of these cases, some of these folks, they just shut off in their feelings. I can be that, yeah. like I can, no. you can look yeah, like no. it. You know, I can say when look at it, but I, it it hits me. And going back with Jay Bo said, when I used to get home, I used to tell mm -hmm. now my wife, but then my girlfriend. I can't talk to like these mm, an hour or two. Man. And she, like my family, my family tell me you need to leave that job. Oh man. You can't do that. Oh. And just, I, like, I think I'm the capacity, <laughs> man, just for to to give to nobody. It you just ain't have it. Yeah. I might be one of those people, uh, Drake, that you're talking about that. Yeah. I, it, my, my, my social life my, definitely sucked. <laughs> my response to trauma or stressful situations, I think part of, partially because of some trauma in my own upbringing, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing, I think. And so I never, um, it's partially what you said, Drake, about like, you know, that whole thing, you're taught, be professional, don't let them, you know, all that kind of stuff. And partially because my, just my own response, like, I don't know that I've ever 
cried. I've cried inside, but I don't know if I've externally have done it because of the work. And then as you're talking, as all three of you are talking, I think about like for me in particular, but probably for everybody, just like whether you cry or not, that weight, like you said, when you mm -hmm. open up that can of worms and there's sexual abuse and mm -hmm. there's poverty and there's all this stuff. I mean, yeah, you clock out at whatever time you clock out, but that stuff don't leave you. You carry that. I carry to this day. I told, you know, we to all have day. stories. I have that story from 27 years ago when I was in the middle of a gang fight or whatever. Yeah, that was crazy right there. <laughs> I carry that to today. Yeah. I carry that trauma, that memory of that time. And so whether or not, you know, however you express your, your response to these crises or these stressful situations, you're carrying it as a child welfare worker, as a social worker. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like, I mean, I'm getting towards the end of this career and I, I'm going to carry this stuff for life. It fades a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's there. And, and how does that impact you, your physical health, your family, your relationship with your children, your wife, you, you know, whatever it is, you know, that it's, it's a heavy, heavy position that we get a lot of, I mean, for different reasons, we get a lot of quote unquote hate sometimes in the profession. But if people and that's why I want to thank you, Drake, speaking of thanks for do, continuing to do this work and get that word out there, because people don't I don't know that they really know what it is like for on the real. Like they have an idea, but they don't get we're, it. Got we're all carrying these battles. Yeah, we're all carrying these battle scars and we're going to carry them yes. for life and they impact everything else. Yes. Yeah, but you know, I did it. I actually didn't cry much either. And there's there one time I cried. It was the most randomest time ever. <laughs> I, I got off work and my roommate at the time knocked on my door. Hey, hey, you want to grab something to eat? In the middle of talking to him, I started crying. Mm. He's Yeah, he's like, are you okay? I said, and I said, and I'm like, I said, just give me just a moment. Give me just a moment. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know what it is. He said, you sure you need anything? And I think that was just the buildup of everything I had been, yeah, you know, with, with the job. Deep. Yeah, no, yeah, it just, yeah. it was just coming out. Once again, I am not a crier. I, I just don't do it. But that moment, it was, I guess it was just everything just overwhelming. I just let it out. Yeah, mm -hmm. let me tell. You. I and it probably, I mean, for those of us who who maybe don't cry that much, it, it's manifesting somewhere else. You know, it's 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 <laughs> eating. You know, poor poor hat, poor you know nutritional habits. It's manifesting in you know relationships with friends or whatever. It's, yes. it's coming out. You might not cry, but it's it's coming out somewhere. It definitely and that's manifests. Why, you know, I'm glad you talked to Drake about going to therapy because we can't do it without some or EAP or whatever it is. I was just about you know. to bring it up again. I was about to bring it. I was like, please <laughs> find therapy and counseling. Yes. Even therapists go to therapy. All right. Mm -hmm. So those are things we need to do because you're out here mm -hmm. healing people. You're out here doing good work. Once again, you, you've done it. And once again, having that work, you're always going to be a social worker. I'm always going to be a social worker. I'm always going to have that case working in me, helping people because yeah. it's tuned to who I am and how mm -hmm. I continue to do it. What I'm doing right now is still social work okay how i'm speaking because i if i use my just you know in this number guy by the way you know okay first and foremost um because if i was just being a normal fleshly me i wouldn't care but that's not me that is not me that's not me to do i've tried not to care oh boy let me, let me say, 
<laughs> I I have tried not to care in situations and, and that were that had nothing to do with work, right? Because it's just it's just in you, like you know. So I wrote a book a few years ago mm. uh, entitled "When the Helper Needs Help," mm. Uh, mm. and and so in this book, you know, I talk about my journey through cancer treatment, but I also have been able to pull in like some instances from my life that mm-hmm. got me to this point to make that made me a helper and then to be in a position where now I got to have a helper. Um, mm-hmm. But in that in writing that book, it was therapeutic because, again, I was able to see how I got to where I'm at. Right. We, we talked about impact earlier, you know, when we got in the career. But then there is some impacts some external impacts, right, that got mm-hmm. us there. And so <laughs> I, I've tried not to care. Mm-hmm. When it's just in you, yeah, it's just in you. But Can't you do about that. I need to get that book. That's gonna be on my for sure. It sounds good. Actually, sounds really good. Yeah, because and and, and sharing, get a few and share it with some folks. And you know, once again, like I told y'all, time flying. Okay, so I wanted y'all to give me some. What are some tips that, that you have for the general public? Okay, for everyone that may not be a caseworker or may want to be a caseworker, what are some things you want to tell them? Like, hey, you know, this something, this what it's like. This how we should treat one another, or you know, this something that's on your mind and heart from your experience of being a social worker. I think for me, because I, I of the of the three of us, I think I may be the one of the four of us that most recently came out of the casework portion of this job, and I think. One thing uh, or a few things that I would say, um, I always like to start with check your personal biases. Mm. Um, And, you know, I always like to say, you know, know that this is what you want to do because you you will make some life and death decisions. Mm, Yes, you will. You'll make you won't get it right all the time. I I, I, I often tell you I was a horrible caseworker. Right. I, I just but I just knew how to do my job. I just knew how to do it. And I knew how to keep children and family safe yeah. um, because I'm not perfect. And I said that because I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I don't get it right every time. And you got to be able to know and be able to accept that you're not going to get it right every time. Yeah. Um, self and, and everybody may say this self-care, be able to take care of yourself. I, I didn't take care of myself. And, you know, and I got to the point where I phys- where I was physically sick and spent nine days in the hospital as a result of it, because it was. And even while in the hospital, I'm still getting calls of, hey, this case needs to close. Mm-hmm. Hey, you, this documentation. Ain't in. And I'm like, I'm literally laying here with a morphine drip because I done had to have emergency surgery because my I ain't taking care of myself. Yeah. And you telling me I got to close a case. Is you yep. crazy? You know, yeah. So, and just be did. able to take care of yourself, surround yourself with a good support system, and know when to walk away mm. if that's what you got to do. Mm. I, I think for me, you know, a lot of a lot of the the on TikTok, on YouTube, on all these places, there's a whole bunch of us that kind of take it from different little aspects of what we kind of cover or our themes and our the content that we put out there, and you know, a lot of people they're they're I like I like when they put out stuff to like the public, like, hey, this is what this is a case that I had. This is what child welfare looks like. They're, like they're educating 
foster parents or they're educating, you know, parents and, and all that. The stuff that I do, I try to, I'm kind of a little bit more focused on the work on social workers and whether it's through something that I, hopefully is a little bit humorous or serious or, or a resource, like that's where I try to focus. And so one of the things that I um, harp on a lot is that I think in addition to what everyone has said or will say is boils down to boundaries, like being able to set boundaries and maintain boundaries and, and to say no and prioritize your work. To me, that's like, it all kind of goes together. And, and, you know, when you first get in, sometimes you're bombarded with the work, like, like, you know, a bunch of us, you just get a caseload dropped on you and you're just treading water, just trying to, you know, survive and, and, and make it through to the next day. And it's hard to like establish a system that really, you pull parts, you pull little pieces of systems from more veteran workers sometimes, or you piece it together. But sometimes that's a slow process because you're busy doing everything else. But if there's, you know, I try, uh, I have my website, socialworkmentor.com, and I have some resources on there in terms of like, how do you say no in a professional solution focused kind of way to a boss? You know, what, what, if you're strapped, if you can't do anything else, how can you, what are some options? What are some things you could say to, to like, keep your job, keep some respect, but also say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, there's uh how do you prioritize? How do you, if you get people coming to your desk, they need help with this or that and your voicemails blinking and you got a court report due, like, how do you manage all that? It, it's to me, I would say that figuring out a system that works for you, using available resources yeah. to establish something and, you know, you tweak it over time as you develop and as systems change. But I think having a system is critical in terms of, Again, managing your time, prioritizing your workflow, and um, and knowing how and when to say no. Um, I think those are the things that will help you stay in the profession and 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 be able to survive. Um, in addition to everything else that that's been said, but I like to focus on those kind of things to support workers. Um, so yeah, and we love it. We love it. Um. I mean, Felix and, and Ernesto has kind of touched on the good ones, but I think my advice would definitely be don't be don't be afraid to be you or don't be afraid to lose that job for your mental health um, because it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it, man. Just like I said, we didn't even touch on, you know, this the me being a, a young black male and a, a female dominant and a white a, a Caucasian dominant area. Um, there was a lot of times I, I held my tongue in, in fear of losing, mm. you know, the job and being able to support, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm my only support that I have, you know, when it comes, you know, my plays and all that, but be you speak up, you know, just to hear certain foster parents, you know, say things like, oh, you're not like the rest of them or, um, you know, I know you like rap music. I like rap, you know, just, you know, just a little subtle things, be you. On top of once again, on top of self care, um, speaking up, saying no, um, don't be afraid to get out of that environment for your own health. Yes, and I got. And once again, this don't have to be our last conversation. Okay. I was gonna say, I just feel like we got a few episodes in us. Trust me, trust me. This does not. You know, we go live every Sunday too. Okay. Listen, you you text me and what I say. I'm here. Okay. Thank you. Seriously, we go live every Sunday 
um, yes. 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we have open discussions about whatever, you know, this is, you know, we talk about sports. We talk about and it's an open dynamic from different backgrounds, women, men, mm-hmm. um, cultures. That is, that's why it's everything culture. And I got to say, I'm going to say this, but I started this podcast not only with my best friend from my different perspectives. It's because of the work that we do. That's why our pillars, the same pillars I have for this podcast is came from me being a caseworker and how I used to build relationships with my children and with the families I work with. And that that and the pillars are respect, communication, and consistency. The reason why when we as Ernesto touched on it earlier, it's like how in the world are you expect to have somebody open up to you and be transparent and honest with you and you don't show them respect? J-Bo touched on it when he was talking about um, like when you have when you see with these families and they come at you sideways and I have to set that boundary. This is the respect we're going to have. I'm communicate. I'm going to let you know how long we're here. We didn't even touch on saying goodbye to the kids. Mm. Saying goodbye to the families. When I say it's and even yeah. though it's on to the next one and it's like I learned to start telling people who I am. This is what I'm doing. And I'm saying hello. And I, when I tell you how long I'll be here and when I'm leaving, that's my goodbye too. Because mm-hmm. we, and sometimes you fall and you can, you, like setting that boundary in there, so say, like uh, Felix, you know, we, we look at how do we continue to take care of ourselves too? Because that's my self care. It's like, if yeah. you still got all, whew, and you got family. And you yeah. got your oh my god! You like you have to work on your emotional bank account. So I, I, don't, I don't see how people with kids do this job. Hey hey, and that's and, I always said that. And I tell and when people ask that question, Nestle said earlier, I usually don't tell people. I say it doesn't matter because if you say yes, you're gonna get um, blowback. You say no, you're gonna get blowback. We're not here for mm-hmm. me. We're here for you. We're not gonna deflect mm-hmm. this. You feel mm-hmm. me? No, that's part of the training that I, I, I still present to people, but. Wow. Once again, let's like thank y'all. And we're gonna make this not I got two more questions and I'm gonna let y'all go. I, I think we could have talked, yeah, it's definitely another episode. Oh, like I, I told y'all, we can get into this. And you like, why man, and we'll be here for three hours oh, going. Oh no, I I was <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you this too. Sure. I still have this to edit this too. I don't have a branding um, team like <laughs> uh, J-Bo, Javoris. We ain't got no branding. But listen, listen let me shout at Rebrand Land, man. That's my team. They're amazing. Um, just support them, man. So if y'all interested in having a branding team, look them up. Rebrand Land CEO. My name is Kay. Hardworking professional. Get it done. Okay, okay. Love it. So this is one lead now. Got one more after this one. What changes you want to see? What are you, if you could make a change in this work that would make a change in society, what does what that change? In society or the system? In the system. And if you do it in the system, it's going to change society and vice versa. Oh, I'm going to let them know. I, already, I got mine off the bat. <laughs> I right. think um, for me uh, and uh, having worked in the Colorado system, I could I, I saw where the change was coming uh, in what what they um, call differential response, and what differential response is leading to is not uh, penalizing families for 
being poor and having situation. You know, sometimes you get assessments where a child has a hole in his shoe. Mm, mm. And there was a time when a child would have been removed from a home because he had a hole in his shoe. And mm. so what differential response does is allows the county, the workers to work with these families to see, OK, how do we get to this point and what can we do to make sure it doesn't happen again, as opposed to me swooping in, taking your kids putting you in the system. It also lends to the fact that you may have a situation where a family is struggling, but it's not enough for them to come into the system, but we yeah. can still provide some resources. So, so for me, that's where I'd like to see it change on the broader sense, but I see it happening in Colorado because I worked in it, but I definitely like to see it on a broader sense. That line, that line between poverty and neglect. Hmm. That, that's the I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad you said yep. that, Felix. I, I yep. do think you that's know, it, right there, Javo. That's it. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm glad, Felix. I'm glad you said that because I, I, as much as I sit here and I got plenty of again deficit-based things to say about child welfare and the experience, it's not all bad either. Like you do have those rewarding times in your career, those rewarding experiences that, I, you know, they, they recharge you, they make you a better person, a better man. A lot of things I've gone through have made me a better father, a better husband. So it's not all bad. And I do, you know, I, I have seen, at least where I'm from, there's continuous efforts to improve. To I, That's one thing I love about social work that I don't see maybe in some other professions is like, we we hear the feedback, we hear the you know the complaints or or whatever lawsuits, and we don't oftentimes not always, but we don't as a profession like just dig in and defend ourselves. No, nah, you don't know. You guys don't do the work. You don't like we we do some of that maybe because it's partially true, but also I th- I feel like as a profession we're like all right, they got a point, man. What what about this disproportionality? How are we going to address this? Mm-hmm. How are we going to uh, tackle this issue? Like we're as a profession, maybe because of who we are as individuals, code of ethics, whatever. But we, I think we do seek to improve in the name and in the interests of the people that we serve. And so I have also noticed that Felix, where we're there's little shifts that improve, little incremental shifts over the years that get better and better as we go. Um, but the thing that I was going to say. Uh, that I would like to see change is is kind of um, for social workers. I would love to see more child welfare workers or or any social workers, but also to for social workers to know the impact that they can have external to the system. And and you know one of the things that I say about that is I I serve as an elected school board trustee on one of my local school boards, and I I've found that you know being involved at a level that's not just inside that silo of, of your child welfare office, it's fulfilling. It's, it's kind of how I've been able to recharge my battery later in my career is because I can have an impact where maybe I'm within those constraints that we talked about. You don't want to say nothing. don't want to do too much because you're going to get some consequence in the silo. But if you step out as a school board member, I've been able to pass, you know, resolutions that deal with child welfare, how do teachers report child welfare? How do, what's the responsibility? What, like, how do we standardize this process? And my district is one of the, where a lot of our referrals come from. So, you know, the impact that I've been able to have, I would have never been able to have that kind of impact in the system 
because it's just there's processes, protocols, bureaucracies, personalities. But outside, I'm able to, you know, they can't tell me what to do as a school board member. Matter of fact, I have, in some sense, I have power over the system in that sense. So when you think about positionality, um, power differentials and all those things, I would encourage social workers to bring that perspective into whether it's an elected position or a board or maybe a nonprofit board or something that has external impact on the system. Because our voice, I have found in, in participating on nonprofit boards and school boards and stuff, the voice of the social worker is is critical at those tables mm-hmm. because people don't bring that experience, that wealth of knowledge and, and insight that we have. And I think if we do that as, as individuals in the profession, there's a lot that we can change, that we can impact. Um, but, you know, it's more work and it's more... It's a challenge, but I think that's one thing that I would hope for to try to make change, external impact uh, by social workers outside of the system. Mm. I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay. It's on me? It's on you. Uh, Easy. Easy. Uh, The funds that we, the funds and resources that we give foster parents, we need to get that straight to the parents. Mm. Uh, Let's start with whatever funds they are getting for each child, let's get it. Let's get that to the pen for the, if they, you know, first we're going to do the investigations, how, how we could properly allocate the funds and resources to the parents on the front end versus removing that child first. And then, you know, giving the resources to the foster parents. I've always thought that that was wild to me. I don't know how they could do it. And that's something that I would love to see. Um, because we remove and then have parents complete these things, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't well I don't know how you guys do it there. Yeah. I would love to keep the child at home. What no well uh, now let let's say case by case, y'all. I'm not saying yeah, like a, I know. We, know, <laughs> we understand. We understand we <laughs> everybody. <laughs> yeah, every, you know, because you can't keep a child they being, you know, molested or something like that. But most of other cases, you know, like a drug case or something like that, because you have functional addicts, right? There are mm-hmm. such things. As, I've seen it. I got crackhead uncles who make good money, you know, and every day they hit, they hit it, they go on to work, they pay their bills, do all these things, you know what I mean? So I think we need to keep child in home, help with certain bills or whatever bills need to be helped with. Put a counselor inside the home, a therapist in the home, because we do all when that child comes. When that child comes into care, we're doing everything. We're putting mm-hmm. counseling in. We're putting uh, transporters in for the kids to go to and from visits. We're doing substance abuse programs. I mean, all of the why can't all of these things be done before that child is removed? It's, so if that parent continues, you know, uh, of course, you got to give them a time span, time frame or whatever. But if they continue after that time frame, then remove, and then you know we explore other options. Right. All right. Yeah, that's that FSS work right there. That family-based safety services. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's something like that in Texas and in Washington. And like I tell people, it's not all around. Um, mm-hmm. And I see it, it can be successful, but I've seen sometimes, like you say, when it don't, that's when the removal going to affect. Mm-hmm. Like, my change would be to one. It'd be something like this. I, I got into cultural diversity 
when I started to st- working at the state, when I was in training. You know, I learned about what the definition of racism and discrimination and prejudice from a white man in my basic skills and development training. And that started like really to push me to getting to know people and understanding the sometimes it's not abuse and neglect. Sometimes it's just culture. It's just culture. That's seriously that that's yes. many times a, a conversation yes. and actually listening to that person with a respectful a, 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 a perspective of respect and trying to see their perspective of what happened will prevent a lot of different types of removals also in and but also pay attention where did the cycle start to and mm-hmm. so that's the thing is like and giving better and i would say my final like for the change for the state specifically I would say have the higher standard and better pay for the employees too. As long, oh, as, long yes. as, as long as this is in fit, is in effect, oh, okay. <laughs> so once again, my goal, hopefully, the state and with CPS is not needed. That's a personal goal, you know. But you know, even before CPS came into effect in 1980s, um, it was still a child abuse, okay. And while we're here, how we can make the community better, and how like, almost what uh, Ernesto said, make sure to use our power outside of this work because that it really revolves around community mm-hmm. uh, um community over government any day mm-hmm. yeah. but that's how and we, you know in, Cal- in california that this just recently the new legislation came out with regards to neglect and it's like you i mean i won't go into all the verbiage i don't know it all exactly 100 percent yet but it's basically it's legally um you know considered or you can't use neglect um, as a sole reason for removal or for involvement in the system, um, specifically for those reasons, because of the what some people see as neglect is culture, is poverty, is you know regions sometimes or whatever it is. It's access to resources, and so in California, the the law has just recently changed where neglect has to be much more tied to imminent risk. Um, as opposed to just holy shoes or not wearing a jacket or whatever. And and I think, you know, I don't know if she was necessarily involved with, in this, but the social workers, again, that are in, I think Karen Bass, I believe, um, is a social worker. Um, you know, we got some social workers at those higher levels. And I, I truly believe that they're having, they're getting that word out. They're putting, you know, getting into people's ears about some of this kind of stuff with regards to child welfare. So, so um so that's changing little by little. And I love it because I've seen cases where a judge try to say a parent neglected their child because they did not get them Christmas gifts. Mm-hmm. Come on. Like, I've seen some. That's crazy. Come on. If we get into that, that I'm, talking about, I'm talking about, I was in court like, what? Like, what if they don't celebrate Christmas? That's, that's another thing they get into. The judge being the almighty in that, in that court. Yes. Ooh, like, like, they, they say go. We can do a part two. And, but the thing, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, we I think we had two parts with the ladies. We I love this, but before we step off of this today, I want y'all to shot. That's my thing. The last thing. How can if the people are trying to find you, and you're trying to be found, where can they do that? You know, can shot yourselves out, please. Yeah. So you can catch me on TikTok. I am Mr. Social Worker Twin. Um, 
definitely follow me. I got recognized at work the other day, so I'm kind of. Mm. But uh, Mr. Famous, yeah, you can find me on TikTok at Mr. Mr. Social. Yeah, you can find me on TikTok at Mr. Social Worker Twelve. You can also follow me on Instagram at Blue Soul. Um, B L U S O U L, and you can. Okay. You can you can find me at the Taqueria over here on Story and King. That's where you find me. You want to hit me up? You find me at the over at the Taqueria. <laughs> no, uh, I mean the easiest way for me. You could just go to socialworkmentor.com um, and I'll or linktree.com slash socialworkmentor, and they got all the links. But if you go to socialworkmentor.com, you'll find like I said those resources that I have. You find some videos that I've been doing because I'm. I'm big on this chat GPT right now and implications on social work. So I've been doing some, uh, you know, some some videos about that. And you can find all my links there in, in the link, the link link on my website. It'll take you to all the all the stuff I have, resources and Facebook, TikTok, all that stuff. Um, and I'll see you at the taqueria. Burritos on me. Oh, say less, man. <laughs> take it over there real quick. <laughs> Now, um, I'm on everything, man. Twitch, I stream video games. I'm on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. All my handles are the same. Who is Jbo1? That is W H O I S J B O, the number one. And also in March, I got a big comedy show called The Comedy Show. It will be in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, on March 11th at 8 from 8 to 9.30 p.m. And what is that address? 9.33 Lee Street in Atlanta, Georgia, man. If y'all in Atlanta. I'm there. So come check me out. I love this. I love there. this. I'm coming, bro. I front row seats. I'm coming. Come on. You sound like, you sound like R2-D2, but we can't. Oh, yeah. I'm about to start breaking it down. <laughs> <laughs> But we hear, hey, hey, communication. We know we hear you. We listen. Come through, come through, hey. man. Um, I don't know. Do y'all watch the show The Circle on Netflix? I got you. I know about I've it. I've seen though. it on there, but I hadn't watched it. Okay, so man, I was able. The guy, man, we linked up. He will be hosting my comedy show. One of the guys from the TV show will be hosting my comedy show. I'll be headlining. We got about five other comedians. Y'all come check us out, man. Oh, and oh, and all proceeds will be going to a school too. All right. See, see, Ooh. that's how that's the support we're talking about right there. Yeah. So want to say thank you all. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for coming on and blessing us with your um, presence, blessing us with your perspective. Um, this is a, a great conversation that once again, I don't want to end. But, you know, it's just a pause for right now. And thank you for our audience. Thank you for our supporters here at Everything Culture and what we're trying to do. Uh, we value your perspectives. We value your points of view. And we value your likes and your comments and your shares as well. Um, please leave a comment and review for this podcast. Um, we greatly appreciate you listening to the Child Welfare Series. We will be touching on uh, a few more folks very soon. Um, but I want to say thank y'all, everyone. And it takes community to make this change. It takes us to step up. And thank y'all for stepping up and doing the work that you're continually doing in your life. Okay? Thank you. But before we step mm-hmm. off, I have to tell you, you know, I'm Drake with Everything Culture, the podcast for all cultures, the podcast with a purpose. Our mission statement comes from the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
and that is he believed that men hate each other because they fear each other they fear each other because they don't know each other and they don't know each other because of segregation and because of segregation we have miscommunication this podcast has been built on the pillars of respect communication and consistency so we can get to know each other so we can love one another so i'm gonna say you can listen to us anywhere you listen to a podcast type in everything culture that's an a no i and you can find us anywhere you listen to a podcast and you can watch us on YouTube. Find us on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify to iTunes. You can find us to TikTok, to IG, to Twitter, to Facebook at Everything Culture. But once again, I want to say thank you all again and God bless. Peace.